So I was just expressing my um, my gratitude to uh, to my teacher and to all of you for being here. And I wanted to say that that during Soji, um, just now, I was softening slightly on all the terrible things I've thought about Zoom um, these last these last few years because um, I was appreciating how powerful it is for me um, to be able to feel in some way like I'm with you in my my root temple, uh, my home sangha, the Houston Zen Center. It's really really um, uh, powerful for me. So. Uh, it's wonderful to get to be together in this way this morning. Um, so thank you all for coming. I especially want to thank anyone who is a soccer fan for being here. Your um, your tremendous efforts <laughs> are are noted. Your powerful acts of um, renunciation. Um, well, I want to start by by sharing a, a phrase that, um, that, that, that I heard a month or two ago and I've heard now a few times and that has been really, really acting on me. I've been carrying it in my, in my mind and in my heart. Um, it is a phrase that I learned from uh, a Dharma teacher named Rhonda McGee. Um, Rhonda is um, a student of Joan Halifax Roshi, in, um, in Santa Fe, I wonder if our friend Kogan Glenn uh, might know her. Um, and she's a, a lawyer and a law professor here in, in the Bay Area. And she's a real, she's a real leader um, in, in bringing the, the, the tools and the concepts and the practices of the Buddha Dharma uh, to bear on issues of racial justice. Um, so she has a wonderful book that I, that I really recommend um, called The Inner Work of Racial Justice, uh, The Inner Work of Racial Justice, Healing Ourselves and Transforming Our Communities Through Mindfulness by Rhonda McGee. And I know her because at the Berkeley Zen Center, where I practice locally, um, she's leading a, an eight-month-long workshop. Um, sort of set of classes for us, uh, facilitating some discussions for us around these issues of um, race and racism, white supremacy, racial exclusion. Um, and I find her to be a really uh, powerful teacher and powerful guide. And the phrase that I've heard her use now various times, um, this is a phrase for what contemplation can be what contemplation is. It's a phrase apparently that she learned from a Jesuit theologian. Um, she teaches, I think, at a Jesuit law school in, in San Francisco. But the phrase, what contemplation can be, what contemplation is, is a long, loving look at the real. It's a long, loving look at the real. And that, that phrase has really acted on me. The first time I heard it, um, I had some sort of response that, that that's what I want to do with my life. I want to take a long, loving look at the real. Um, maybe for some of you, maybe you do too. Maybe that's part of what uh, brought you to practice. Wanting to take a, a patient and steady 
and compassionate look at what our lives are, at what's, um, what's going on here. So our tradition um, offers us so many ways to do that. Um, there's a way in which the tradition we've inherited is full of uh, stories and models and frameworks, doctrinal systems that uh, help us to take a long, loving look at the real. And today, what I thought I would do is, is talk a little bit about one powerful model for doing that. So again, I think the tradition we've inherited is full of ways, full of encouragements and practices um, for how it is we can bring ourselves into deeper and deeper relationship with, with the truth, with reality. But here's one uh, teaching, important teaching, one model. It comes from one text. Um, for some of you, it'll be it'll be really familiar. Uh, some of you maybe the first time that you've that you've heard this. Um, so it's it's a model about the nature of reality, and it's from a text called the Samdhi Nirmochana Sutra. The Samdhi Nirmochana Sutra. Um, I'll say I have a really warm sort of relationship personally to this text. It's one of the first. Um, Buddha sutras that I that I studied really carefully when I um, first came uh, to practice. I remember um, some friends and I in in San Antonio would actually get together um, once a week at my house and we would chant this text, um, and then we would have a discussion about it. It's um uh, kind of one of my first experiences in a community. You know, there's just a handful of us, but in a community of really. Uh, throwing throwing myself into um, a teaching and really, really trying to understand it. So it's personally an important uh, text for me. And the abbot, in a conversation maybe six months ago, brought this text up. And uh, I hadn't read it in, in years, and I got it back out. And uh, I'm really happy that I did. Um, so the there's a lot in this text, uh, as our, yeah, there's a lot in this text. But the, the, the part that I want to um, share with uh, has to do with the three natures, the three characters uh, of reality. So there's a teaching in this text that there are three characters to reality. So they are, I'll tell you their names, the imputational character, the other dependent character and the perfected character, the imputational character, the other dependent character, and the perfected character. So the imputational character is sometimes called the artificial or the imaginary character. And it's a name or a symbol that we put on to reality. It's how we talk about reality or how we think about it. It's what we call things. 
really the imputational character is is language you could say or is uh concepts is the conceptual overlay that we put on uh, on top of how things are and we do that so that we can grasp reality so that we're able to talk about it or describe it uh, so we're able to manipulate it in some way um, it's how we separate things out that's the imputational character the other dependent character is the way things really are which is a little separate a little is distinct from how we think they are the the other dependent character is dependent origination it's that nothing creates itself the most traditional way of saying it is because this exists that arises because this is produced that is produced because of this there is that it's the you could say the interconnection of everything it's the uh mysterious ungraspable flowing whoosh of our lives um what's tricky of course is that whoosh is actually the imputational character right so anything we say about it now we're trying to grab a hold of it which is wonderful but we can confuse what we put on top of it for what it really is so we can confuse the imputational character how i think how i name things how i separate things out for the way they truly are which is ungraspable um constantly flowing and interconnected so the perfected character or the thoroughly established character is suchness it's um the way things are free from our imputations so in a way one one way to think about it is that when we soften a little bit or ease up on the way we've put the imputational character on top of the other dependent character that's the perfected character that's the thoroughly established character it's in a way what happens when we make some effort to take the imputational character back off of the other dependent character we soften or remove or ease up on the ways we impute essences and attributes onto the ungraspable interconnected nature of reality <laughs> um so that is 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 wonderful and helpful and 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 I hope clear um there's images there's a, there's a there's, there's an image in the text that sometimes helps uh kind of a a metaphor or comparison 
for what this system is. Uh, the imputational character, the, the text says, is like defects of vision. So it's like a, a cataract and a person with cataracts, right? So you are, um, there is something in the eye that is causing you to see things that aren't really there, right? So the, the, the sutra says they look like little sesame seeds or like a net of hairs. So now I'm relating to these sesame seeds. I think these sesame seeds are out there in reality. Actually, the sesame seeds are just the, the way my eye works. It's, it's subtle because it is true that I am seeing sesame seeds. It is true that I am the sort of creature that sees sesame seeds. It is, it is true that we impute, but it is not the case that our, in, in, the ways we impute captures or is the same as what reality truly is. So when we open up to the possibility that the sesame seeds we're dealing with, the sesame seeds we, we are relating to. Um, and again, the sesame seeds are everything I think. We open up a little bit to the possibility that, that what's there might not be exactly the same as what I think it is. Uh, we're softening our adherence to the imputational character, and we're beginning to open up to the perfected character. So I love this model, I love this uh, teaching, and it also comes from a particular layer of our tradition that, that sounds like this, it is sort of, um, it's sort of philosophical. It's maybe a little bit abstract. It, it divides things up into parts. Um, it's often associated with, um, with, with maybe with Indian Buddhism. Um, there are different ways of expressing this same teaching, the same liberating insight that maybe we associate more with China, um, and Japan with East Asian Buddhism, and that's to do less abstract or philosophical discussion, and it's more to tell stories. Um, so I want to I want to uh, share a story that I think is is doing the exact same thing. It has is offering the same teaching, um, is offering help in taking a long, loving look at the real. Uh, but it does it in a slightly different mode. Um, so this is a story about um, Zhao Zhou, a great uh, Chinese Buddhist uh, ancestor, Zhou Shu. And um, I'll just read it to you. The master saw a monk coming and held up a burning stick. So already this is kind of more exciting, right? Than the, um, 
Uh, the master saw a monk coming and held up a burning stick. Pointing to the stick, the master said, do you understand? So I just want to say, in, in a way, we, we say what, what he's demonstrating is reality, right? It's just showing reality. Uh, the monk said no. <laughs> you know, you, you, you go to someone and they hold up a burning stick and say, do you understand? No. The master said, you can't call it fire. That's all I have to say about it. You can't call it fire. That's all I have to say about it. So notice what he's doing. He's saying, take the imputational character off. Do you understand? You can't call it fire. That's all I have to say about it. Again, the master held up the burning stick and said, do you understand? The monk said, no. <laughs> um, and then the story goes on. Uh, Joshua actually sends that monk 400 miles away to another teacher. The monk goes, walks all the way to that teacher, has an exchange, walks all the way back. Uh, uh, my heart really goes out to both of the characters in this story. I feel Jojo trying so hard to, to, to sort of show something that's right in front of us, right? And saying, can you, can you, um, taking a long loving look at the real, can you, can you see what's real with a little bit of freedom from how you usually think about what's real? Usually we would say that's fire. He says, you can't call it fire. Do you understand? I'm going to tell a few other stories that I think um, are doing the same thing of trying to, um, trying to make this point. So the imputational character, what we call things, what we name things, how we think about them, how we try to grasp them. It really is about names. It's about naming things and separating them out. I've seen different versions of this story, but it's one that I, that I like. Um, someone asks, one of our ancestors, a great Buddhist teacher, Kanadeva, who is in the tower ringing the bell? It's actually a complicated story. Kandeva has turned himself into a, um, a spirit, a deva, and gone up in a tower and ringed a bell and rang a bell. It's something that um, this person knew how to do. Um, uh, but but so someone says, so the bells ring. A person asks Kandeva, who is in the tower ringing the bell? A heavenly being. Who is the heavenly being? Kanadeva said, I. Person asks, who is I? Kanadeva says, I am you. The person asked, who is you? Kanadeva said, you are a dog. <laughs> who is the dog? The dog is you. Let's go through this again. <laughs> who is in the tower ringing the bell? A heavenly being. Who is the heavenly being? I. Who is I? You. Who is you? A dog. Who's a dog? You. So we're just playing here. 
with names. We're just playing with the imputational character. We're just seeing we put things on to reality and, and, and we can take them off. We could do this in different ways. They're playing. They're playing in the field of um, the imputational character and the other dependent character. What happens if we try taking our usual names for things, our usual concepts and ways of thinking, and loosening them just a little bit? There's another one. Um, another story. Uh, when San Sheng arrived at Mount Yang, Yangshan asked him, What's your name? So San Sheng goes to Yangshan. And Yangshan says, What's your name? San Sheng says, Yangshan. Yangshan says, Yangshan is my name. Sansheng says, Sansheng. Yangsheng laughed and laughed. Um, sometimes with these, these stories, I, I think it's a little easier to kind of um, act it out in your mind. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh once wrote that koans are like skits. <laughs> Um, which, which, I think is, which I think is really great. And sometimes if you sort of act it out for yourself, you can see it more clearly, you know? Um, so, who are my characters? Um, uh, Kogan Glenn goes to Louise. And this is good too, because um, actually, oh, oh, this is perfect for the story. So he actually walks from Santa Fe. So Kogan walks, you know, um, hundreds or thousands of miles uh, to Louise. Um, and Louise says, what's your name? And Glenn says, Louise. <laughs> and Louise says, that's my name. And Glenn says, Glenn. And Louise laughs and laughs and laughs. <laughs> This is how awakened beings have fun together. <laughs> Playing uh, with our minds and how our minds work. And uh, seeing what happens um, if, we lose it, if we loosen uh, the iron grip uh, that our minds exert on us, which actually causes so much suffering so much suffering and so much real damage. Uh, so I wanna, be, I wanna be careful and I wanna be clear because this is, this is a very subtle set of teachings, I think. I, I don't think the idea is that we get rid of or erase um, our capacity to think, uh, the fact that we name things. I, um, uh, it is true that imputation exists. It is true that um, uh, 
I am a being who imputes essences and attributes onto ungraspable, flowing, interconnected reality. That is true. And I, I don't think uh, liberation means that we, we no longer think at all. That, that, that's not, um, uh, it's more subtle than that. It, it has to do with being able to ease up or um, let in a little air. Let in a little uh, a little air between um, how we think about things and how they truly are. So, Master Yunmen went to see Tian Tong, and Tian Tong said, "Have you managed to settle it? Have you managed to settle it? Have you?" Um, Have you taken a look? Have you? What reality is? Master Yunmen went to see Tian Tong. Master Yunmen asked back, What are you saying, Reverend? Tian Tong replied, If you haven't understood, then you're involved in all that is in front of you. If you haven't understood, you're involved in all that is in front of you. The way I hear that is if you're just being bullied by the imputational character, by these uh, clumsy categories that don't capture how reality really works. We separate things out. They have um, permanent, fixed, separate attributes. Uh, and that isn't true. So if we have haven't understood them, we're just involved. What are you saying, Reverend? In front of you. Master Yunmen said this. Dave, you, you broke up a little bit there. Could you say just the, the previous couple of sentences again? Still stuck. It's completely frozen. Fondo, I don't know if you can hear us, but you're frozen. And we, as soon as you said something about freeing up the imputational character, you froze. <laughs> this is actually, um, I've been in contact with the people of Zoom. This is a demonstration of what the imputation has done. <laughs> At great expense, I'll say, at great expense. Um, so uh, let's see, can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Okay, and, and I got a chat. Thank you, Ren. Okay, so um, uh, Yunmen went to Tiantong and said, have you managed to settle it? Master Yunmen asked back, what are you saying, Reverend? Tiantong replied, if you haven't understood, then you're involved in all that is in front of you. We got that far, right? Yeah. Yeah. Master Yunmen said, if you have understood, then you're involved in all that is in front of you. If 
you have understood, then you're involved in all that is imperfect. Um, What we're doing on the on the Bodhisattva path is trying to create communities and cultures of wisdom and compassion that look in a really clear-eyed way at uh, suffering and the causes of suffering and the practices that lead to liberation. Um, and part of how we do that is to see the ways that um, the, the clunkiness and violence of our categories um, interferes with the kind of flowing, interconnected aliveness uh, that is possible when we relax our categories just a little bit. So, you know, one example of, of, of imputation, again, that I've been, um, that we've been working with Rhonda um, to clarify Minds are always imputing, you know, but I think racial categories are really clear examples of, of imputation. Putting things onto reality. They're, um, you know, they're, they're made up. They're socially constructed categories. Uh, the way race is understood uh, is different in different countries, different in different historical times. Um, Uh, it's an imaginary idea. It's an imaginary idea that 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 does real damage, causes um, actual human suffering. Rhonda has a really nice little passage I want to read that that connects to the subtle ways that um, uh, the imputational character works. Um, she says, our mindfulness practices support us in being willing to see and to see through. Mindfulness helps us to hold our gaze long enough to see the paradoxes of race, to see through the construct of race, and to see how it can be both Real and fictional at once. <laughs> Real and fictional at once. And to see the way that it can be both debilitating and surmountable in some cases at the same time. So really, I really love that. Real and, uh, is it real and fictional at once? Uh, everything we think is real and fictional at once. And, uh, Building the capacity uh, to know that is um, liberating. Uh, if we are able to uh, 
um, relax just a little bit the way we divide reality up. Uh, then something vivid and flowing and wondrous, um, something luminous and joyful comes alive. Um, and I feel that our, our ancestors on the path over and over and over again are trying to show us this over and over and over. Um, so I go, um, I go to Joshu. We go to Joshu. And he sees us coming and he holds up a burning stick. It says, do you understand? And, and we say, no, <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to show me. You can't call it fire. Do you understand? Uh, I feel really, really lucky to get to be with you all together in this way. Um, such a joy and an honor to be a part of this community. Thank you all very much for listening.